Want to reduce friction in your trade-in and buying process with customers? Become a Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer Dealer. It's the easier way for you and your customers to get to yes. Learn more by visiting b2b.kbb.com slash get to yes. All in the show notes. Now let's move on to the show. Welcome to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. My name is Michael Cirillo, and each week I sit down with the brightest minds in marketing, sales, and leadership to help you level up your career in automotive. Thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. Now let's open up the playbook. Here we go. All right, here we go. Episode 100 and 24, if you can believe that, of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I'm sitting down now with a man. I don't know, man. This guy's got to look like he's just been married or something. <laughs> I think that's what this is. Is that what this is? <laughs> it's not, it's Congratulations. Not what this is. Frank, thanks so much for joining me on the DPB. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. Always my pleasure to be here on Dealer Playbook, one of, if not the premier and best resource for people in the automotive industry to find out what's really going down. Ah, shucks. Now he's its making me blush over here. Um, you know, su- super pumped to have you on, um, especially because, y- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying those that don't necessarily rant, but just call it the way it is. And I think we need a m- more of that in this industry. But before we dive into our subject matter, I want to just turn this over to you. Frank, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've got going on. Um, and, and before we do that, you know, something that I think is so fascinating that, that, that you guys will find interesting is the fact that the auto industry makes the world really small. Uh-huh. And what it I mean does, by that yeah. is I think it was episode 10. We had Gary V on the show. And then we had you on the show at some point and you're like, Hey, do you know, I helped Gary V out and we did this together back in the day and I helped him with all this wine library stuff, small world. Now you've kind of got, I mean, you, you've kept in touch with Gary V all this time, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What's that like? Very- I mean, when the cameras are off, what's it like to be connected with, with Gary? Uh, without a doubt, he's one of, you know, I've known Gary V before, you know, way before it was you know, the Gary V persona or per, you know, I say persona, but there is no persona there. You know, Gary V that you see in the daily V and Gary V that you see in the keynotes and you see him in the, um, you know, on like on his video, on his produced videos and stuff like that. That's the same Gary Vaynerchuk that I know from 2004 through 2009 um, when at the, you know, I didn't know it at the time, obviously nobody really knew it except for him. But, um, when I was blessed to have, uh, to have Gary Vaynerchuk and wine library as a client, you know, and we did, um, did a tremendous amount of things together. I learned a tremendous amount of things from him, uh, and also from the work that I did for him, taking those thoughts and theses and moving them into the automotive world Back in the you know 2006 through 2009 era, when you said you know when you said things like Facebook to a car dealer and they just flat out <laughs> laughed in your face, you know. And, so, well, and now, and this ties in now with what you've got going on right now, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Right, exactly. So, um, so my name Frank J. Lopes, uh, Vice President of FB Digital's. We're a smaller boutique agency uh, exclusively with automotive. 
And uh, I have my own some very, very small and compact um, presence on social media, hashtag get more frank, uh, you know, with, uh, with videos, motivation, trying to fill the gaps of what the, uh, of what the people in the automotive industry need, you know, need today. Right on. So, so, and, and I love that because I think, and, and from my own experience, I think a lot of people are really starting to gravitate towards the boutiques and not the, you know, some of the bigger, uh, players in the game, um, because mm-hmm. they're a little bit more flexible and, and, and agile and kind of can, can pivot and evolve. I mean, it, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, <clears throat> when I tell people that I don't believe there will be another shock to the system, like what in our lifetime, at least to what the internet did to shock the system, Uh they kind of look at me and they're like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, guys, I used to publish telephone books. (laughs) Yeah. I used to sell (laughs) newspaper ads. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I go to my folks house, my dad who started this telephone directory back in the early eighties. And I look at all, we had this thing done where all of the front covers, you had like shellacked or something and put on these things. And I'm looking at, you know, 30 years of telephone books and I'm like, the internet killed that business. Yeah. It killed it dead. Like it killed it, it killed dead. It. it killed it dead. Like one shot right to the head that was over. And what's funny about that is I don't think there's going to be in our lifetime another shock to the system like what the internet did when it took the spotlight away from so many types of businesses. Like, I mean, when was the last time you saw a door-to-door encyclopedia salesperson or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. And the reason I think this is relevant to what we're going to talk about is because, you know, like the other day I read about how Elon Musk received like congressional approval to build a hyperloop train that gets from DC to New York in 25 minutes. You know what my reaction was? Huh? Like, seems plausible, but you remember when the internet came out and you remember like even now with the conversations you're having with business owners, not just dealers, but business owners in general who are still trying to wrap their head around the internet. Right? Yeah. Where I'm going with this is, because of that um, demand, because of that gray area, we see this. There are companies upon companies upon companies coming out of the woodworks almost every single day. Our industry specifically becomes bombarded with conflicting messages, with similar messages, with similar services, with conflicting services, conflicting opinions. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line of it all is the poor dealer <laughs> is yeah, sitting here going, up. who do I choose? And from our experience, I mean, from our vantage point, I will not ever, ever say that I think dealers are stupid. It drives me absolutely insane when people do that. Mm-hmm. But what drives me even more insane than that is when is that they've been taken advantage of, I think in some regard for such a long period of time that they don't know which way is up anymore. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's a really good point because I know I've seen my own personal experience. I have seen from somewhere around 2010, right. To present. Some people may argue my 2010 point, but you know, my 2010 starting point, but whatever. So from 2010 to current, The mass, like, I guess the only way I could put it is the mass exploitation of dealers 
for the last six to seven years, you know, is outright disgusting. It's the only way I can put it. it. It's outright disgusting. The amount of dealers that have been taken advantage of that have been exploited for um, exploited for their lack of um, for their lack of being able to or uh, being able to keep up. You know, right. And look, I'm look, I'm not going to make any excuses for dealers, but let's just look at the reality of this. Okay, running. And I've said this before. Running a dealership is an 80 hour a week job if you work part time. Okay, (laughs) so if, if you Mickey Mouse it and you cut corners and you and you dramatically delegate and you empower your people and everything, if you're at the helm and if you still are focused on dealership on growth, right? on increasing units and operation and all that kind of horse shit, you know, horse shit terms. It's an 80 hour a week job. If, if you do all the things that you're supposed to do. Okay. Now, when, when the whole, when not, not only the automotive industry, but when the whole world takes a culture shift and a technology shift at the same time, right? How in the world can you expect automotive dealers as well as, you know, just about every other industry on the face of the earth, right? It takes time, to, it takes time to, to, to catch up and to, you know, and to get up to speed. And then it takes a dramatic amount of time to, keep, to stay ahead, to stay current and then to stay ahead. So, you know, this opened up a dramatic, you know, a, a dramatic black hole, you know, that some, uh, let's just say it, some, uh, unethical, unscrupulous, whatever word you want to, whatever word you want to use, uh, people came, crawled out of and began to take advantage of dealers. And it still goes on today. It still goes on. And, and that's something that, that I, I believe the whole agenda, the whole industry needs to get on the same agenda of putting a stop to as soon as possible, because at the end of the game, it only hurts everybody. Um, you know, it only hurts everyone, especially the dealer. Okay, so so some really good points here. I mean, it, there's no question there are some unethical um, vendors out there. And I think mm-hmm. that as a whole, like you said, it affects the whole industry. Um, and don't get me wrong, like and like you said, we're not going to sugarcoat this. I mean, there's some unethical dealers out there. Yeah, there are a tremendous right? amount. There are a lot of unethical dealers out there. <laughs> um, that, that's not a question. And, and I think where we're having a problem is everyone keeps the, the, the water has become bloodied red and everyone keeps trying to swim in it and turn it blue. And there's little like bleach treatments happening every now, every little, you know, place you go. But I mean, how do we, how do we turn this on its head? I mean, for starters, do you think that unethical vendor knows they're being unethical? Is it, are they unethical because maybe they're not as well educated as somebody else or maybe their head's been, you know, down on developing something and it, and it's not the right thing or, you know, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, it, cause the, the last thing that I want to do here is look at things from a very isolated point of view. I think there's too much of that going on. I mean, all mm-hmm. you and I could do right now is open up Facebook and we would see isolated points of view with every flick. So, I mean, what's contributing to that feeling of being unethical? I think there's two different points, 
you know, th- that I think we have to bring up because because you hit on a really good point here. There is the point of unethical where the vendor, <clears throat> excuse me, where the vendor or salesperson or whatever is flat out selling snake oil and they and they fucking know it. OK. Right. And then you and then you have the other side of where the vendor may may be selling a process or a product that in their mind, you know, in their mind has value and is and should be sold for a certain price or whatever. But the reality of the practicality of whatever that whatever that service or product is, is nil. You know, so so we're talking about two different things, both of them, the outcome of both leads to the exact same place, which is the dealer wasting time, wasting money, losing sales, you know, burning revenue and also losing patience and losing faith in the system that, you know, in the vendor society and vendor system that exists today. So we got, you know, we got two, definitely two different things that are going on at the same, you know, at the exact same time. And one of the points that I want to bring up, because if I hear another vendor say it, I'm going to scream at the top of my fucking lungs (laughs) is, you know, when you, Myself, because of the position that I am in, right, and and I am no better or worse than anybody else. Michael, you're no no better or worse than anybody else. We are just trying to bring this to light for any everyone's benefit at the end of the day, right? You know, and um, if I hear another vendor say to me, you know, well, Frank, what's the big deal? They, they you know, they hurt the dealers hurt customers all the time. You know, one thing has absolutely nothing to do with the other. If we want to have a conversation, and we have in the past, even on this show, if we want to have a conversation about dealers and the way they treat customers, great, let's go down that road. But that's a whole separate road, and that's something that doesn't have anything to do when a vendor is sitting in front of a dealer, right? The relationship is right there. Whatever either one of you guys do when you get up and leave that table, that's up to you. And that's, right. you know, and, and that's your discussion and that's your, you know, that's for you to deal with. But when you're sitting there looking eye to eye with that dealer, that's, you know, that's what we're going to talk about. And that's what we're going <clears> to, <throat> and that's what we're going to stay focused on over here. Let's not cloud up. Let's not make the, the bloody water even murkier now by throwing in things like, you know, oh, well, the dealer makes five grand on a car and this and that, you know, it's one thing. It's irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. One thing has nothing to do with the other. Well, and, and the thing that's fascinating about that is, <clears throat> like I said, it really does represent an isolated point of view because, you, you know, I get it all the time. I've got buddies who are like, oh, man, you're doing so well. We see what you're doing. Your company's doing well. You're hiring new people. Dude, but the one thing that you're not accounting for is the the cost and the burden of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're not inside of those accounting meetings that the dealer has with his accounting firm. Who's like, dude, you're running close to the line. Like what you sell your product for has no bearing on everything else that's going on. So, so for me to come in and say, Oh, well, it's okay because they're a, they're a $40 million a year business. That's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant in my you know, in my world, I'm privy a lot to financial statements with dealers because I'm consistently going through them all on the expense side. You know, I'm consistently going through them looking for places to trim and whatnot, you know. And of course, when, you know, the 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 first page of that is the income is the income side of the statement, you know. Right. And, and of course, I'm going to look at that because it's in front of my face over here, you know. 
And sometimes when you go to the third page or you go to the bottom of the second page where the net profit number is, you would shake your head and say, how the hell does this actually work? How does this place, you know, how does this place keep uh, keep moving? How does it right. keep running? You know, right. so, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into it. So nobody should be having their pocket, their hands in anybody else's pocket, pulling their, you know, pulling their money out and counting it for them. In no way, shape, or form should that ever be going on because you have no idea what else is attached to the money in somebody's pocket, and you have no idea what they did or had to do or what they sacrificed to get the money in their pocket at that level. You have right. no clue. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, because there are, I mean, like there are thousands of companies in this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thousands. Some of them do similar things. Some of them don't. Some of them this. Some of them that. Whatever. Like there's a, every day. I'm like, holy crap, this is a thing. <laughs> you know, I'll see some new company. I'm like, this is a thing. With so much competition, how does a dealer? I mean, like if we stripped everything out, we said, let's go back to the basics of the business. We just opened our doors. What should a dealer be focusing on? How do they know what they need? I mean, aside from the OEM crap that gets, you know, that's all bullshit anyway, fo- yeah. forced on them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, that they still have to put money into because it is what it is. Right. So, but after that, how, how do they, how, how does one know what they will actually need in order to make their business work? Right. It's very simple. It breaks down to three steps. That's it. Every dealer, it all comes down to these same three things. And these three things are not easy. Okay. They're not easy, but putting, and in this, this, the whole underlying thing of this conversation is the responsibility is on the dealer. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is because the dealer has the free will to say yes or no. when it's the dealer's name that's on the bottom of the check that goes to the vendor. Right. Right. So the responsibility is on the dealer. Three things, very simple. Number one, the dealer has to do a tremendous amount of self-reflection, and they have to look at what their real agenda and what their real goal is. And the cop-out answer of, well, I want to sell more cars and make more gross. That's fucking bullshit. That, that is not going to stick. You know, it's, yeah. how, it's how do you want to sell more cars? How do you want to generate more gross? How many more cars do you want to sell? like a specific number. How many more cars do you want to sell? How much more gross do you want and or need to generate when you're selling that many more cars? You know, you have to have a clear agenda, dealers. You've got to have a clear agenda of what it is that you want to accomplish and saying that selling more cars is not the answer. That's the cop-out answer. You got to look at it specifically and you got to say, okay, I need to sell more cars through my BDC. I need my BDC to set more appointments because I know that the appointments that actually show up, that the closing ratio on those is much higher. You know, I need to make the phone ring. I need to generate more phone calls because I know that my BDC is strong and that they'll set an appointment. They'll give the customer all the information that they need for the customer to want to set an appointment and come in. And I know that those appointments that are made that show up, they close at a higher level. You know, or it's got to be I given my market area and given the brand that I sell, I need to, you know, my brand has to be more of a situational sell than it is a brand sell. 
You know, so for example, if you if you're a dealer and you have a brand that has very mid has mid to very low demand right now, I hope that you're that you're selling on situation, meaning you're selling on you're selling to credit challenged people. You're selling to people that are over mileage on their current lease. You're selling to people that, you know, you're selling to that 90 some odd percent of people that are not thinking about buying a car today. Because right. they're not in the market, but if they were given the opportunity to get out of the car that they have currently that they don't like and get into something else, that they would explore that opportunity. So once again, step one, what is your dealer? What, Mr. Dealer, what is your agenda, right? Then number yeah. two, number two, it's research. The dealer has to do as much research on their own as possible so that when they're speaking to vendors, so that they're as educated as they can possibly be on whatever it is that they need to get to that goal, to reach that goal and to meet their agenda. They need to make sure that whatever vendor they're talking to, that their agenda, the vendor's agenda and the dealer's agenda are exactly the same. That's it. They cannot be, they can't be led in this, you know, in this way. And this is going to take, like I said, these things are not easy for the dealer to do, but he's going to have to do them or he's going to have to employ somebody that he pays to do these things, to go through these steps. Yeah. Well, and what's nice about this is, you know, it, it puts them back into a position of control. I think, and I'm just speaking of life. I think we think as individuals that we have more control than we do, but then we say things or we close deals on, yeah, you know, I'll just try it out for six months. That's the easy way for us because we're too afraid to say no to somebody. But right. doing the research will actually give you enough time. I what, what, Where I'm going with this is the, the research phase of who can I work with, what's going on out there, who's going to actually help me allows you the time to cross-reference your research back to what you wanted to achieve, back to this self-reflection that you've done. Right, so, so through that lens, you can start looking at the companies out there um, in a way that it, it'll be easier to determine who aligns with what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that research, you know, a lot of dealers are going to say, well, I don't know where, I don't know who to ask. I don't know what to do, you know? And honestly, that's another cop out answer. And that's bullshit because most dealers that I know, they have these things. They have this little group that's called friends. Right. (laughs) And most of those most of those friends just happen to be other fucking dealers. Right. So there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone. You know, let's put our pride to the side here. There's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and calling, you know, and calling the other dealer who your buddies with who, whether they're in your market, not in your market, it doesn't really make a difference that you call them up and say, Hey, I'm looking to, you know, I'm really looking to increase my business. I'm looking to increase the, the amount of leads I'm getting into the, in, into the BDC, into my BDC from my website. You know, who do you use for this or that? Or how do you do it? Or how are you struggling in the same thing? You know, most dealers that I know they're, they're involved in a 20 group. You know, so instead of going to the 20 group meetings and trying to shoot down everybody else's problem and everybody else's idea, you know, go there and actually put your put whatever it is that your goal is, put it on the table during the meeting, you know, or when you or when at the dinner after the meeting, instead of complaining about the OEM, which, you know, is is a fucking complete waste of time because you can talk about the OEM all you want. 
at the same time, Mr. OEM doesn't give a shit about your complaints. So instead of using the time to bitch about the OEM, share what the, your agenda is with somebody else. And most times than not, the dealer community within themselves, the dealer community is extremely tight, you know, yeah. because they because the dealers today, they really feel like they are on an island by themselves and they're surrounded by sharks and piranhas and landmines and all kinds of stuff. So I've never seen a dealer not be willing to help another dealer when it comes to advice or guidance or a tip or anything like that, you know. So use that time at your 20 group meeting to discuss your agenda and discuss your shortcomings and discuss your strengths and share them with each other, you know, and then and then step three. Right. And step three is probably the most um, the most important part of the three steps. Right. And once again, it's self-reflection and it's your own relationship skills. Right. It's actually speaking to your managers to set those goals correctly. It's actually looking at yourself in the mirror and actually figuring out what it is that you need and want to do to accomplish the goal that you want. And number three, right, it's looking at yourself and looking at your own patience level, your own communication skills, all of those things so that when you're communicating those goals, number one, when you're communicating those goals with your vendor, that you're concise and clear as to what you want to do. And number two, going forward in the relationship so that six months from now, you just don't say, hey, uh, we were, you know, we were spending $3,000 a month on ABC and it doesn't work. Fucking cancel. Yeah. You know, it's actually going it's actually going back to that vendor and saying, hey, when we got together, I was looking to do I was looking to 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 increase leads from my website. Right. And now we've been pulling numbers and year, you know, comparing year to the same month of the year prior, you know, we're down. So what's going wrong? What are we doing wrong? What's the, you know, instead of just canceling and moving on. What's interesting about this is it comes down to, I I mean, basically the the steps that you're walking us through is like a SWOT analysis, right? Like your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, you know, and, and I love what you said. I mean, ultimately I know, and I I'm in a level now as a business owner, I know that no matter what, cause I've got vendors too, who supply me with things, mm-hmm. the so responsibility what, yeah. is on me. It's my responsibility. I'm the one making the decision. I'm the one who needs to do the research. But what I love about this is that I, I, because I understand this concept, and don't get me wrong, I think a lot of business owners do, but it gets pushed under the table because because like what you said, there's just so much going on. Mm-hmm. If if I've done that self-reflection and the self-reflection on behalf of my company and I understand the strengths we have, I understand the weaknesses that we have, I understand the opportunities, but I also understand the threats. I'll tell you what, not only is it liberating, but... I've never had to have a conversation with one of my suppliers about, well, what's going wrong? This didn't work because I recognize that there are so many facets to this. If, if, if I don't communicate clearly with the understanding that I've got threats against my business and that we do have some weaknesses and I push those under the rug, mm-hmm. I can't have 
a productive conversation with anybody because the blame's always going to go on them. See, well, I hired you to have to to bring me more leads. Yes, the problem is in a lot of cases, at least I can speak from my own experience and my own agency as can you, when we really dig in and we start looking at that business, there are multiple problems that we realize we have to fix along the way that they didn't even have on their radar. Right. Right. And I've been on the tail end of the conversation of, man, I hired you to get me more traffic leads and sales. How come? I don't know why I'm from, I'm from the Bronx all of a sudden, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like I hired you to do this and it's been four months and I'm not seeing this. Yeah. Well, you know what? Four months ago, you didn't tell me the warts you had on your backside that we had right. to get rid of. And that took time and that took, we had to build and we had to clean up and we had to restructure and we had to do all these things you didn't tell me about. It's like, you know, you watch those home renovation shows and they're like, yeah, I'm going to buy this. And I'm going to flip it and blah, blah, blah. Oh crap. There's a problem with the foundation. Well, yeah, well that those things always add the drama to the show and everything. But in our, but in our case, they don't add the drama. They add, you know, for us, it adds the cancer. Yeah. We get fired. Yeah. yeah we, we wind up being fired. <laughs> I mean, look, um, Sometimes, sometimes I'm generalizing. Sometimes. sometimes. Um, look, when I sit down with a new dealer, one of the first questions I ask, right, is how is your BDC? And then whatever answer they give me, I say to them, okay, now really tell me how your BDC is. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times, the answer, the first answer and the second answer are different. And the second answer is the real one. And it's always lesser than the first answer was. So it's always, sure. how's your, how's your BDC? BDC is good. Okay. Now how really, how's your BDC? <laughs> oh, my BDC is mm. fucking weak. My BDC is yeah. fucking weak, Frank. Okay. So now look, that's the first place that we got to go because no matter what we do, it's going to wind up driving traffic. That's going to go into that BDC. And if the BDC is weak within six months, you're going to look at me and say, we didn't sell any more cars. And then we're going to have to have this whole, well, yeah, you didn't sell any more cars, but I generated more leads. So I gave you the opportunities, but I can't, that whole conversation is friggin' pointless. Right. It really is. It's pointless and it's horrible. It's much better to tell the parent that his baby is ugly the first time you see the baby than it is six months from now. It's much easier because nobody on the face of the earth wants to hear that they got a fucking ugly baby. Right. Nobody wants to hear it, you know? So if you let too much time go by and so one day you say, well, your kid's fucking ugly, you know, the, the shock, the shock and the sting of that slap is much worse later on the cal later on in the calendar than it is right in the beginning. Sure. I'm talking to Frank J. Lopes here on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I've got a few more questions. We've been digging deep about how to improve vendor dealer relations and you know, three really cool steps here. Uh, we're gonna jump out for a quick word from our sponsor and then we'll be right back. A few years ago, our dealership was losing money in used cars and we had to make some sort of change. So we jumped on board with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. So every guest that comes into our dealership, it is part of the process. And since then, it's been such a success. The name Kelly Blue Book is huge in our industry. They've been around a long time. With Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer, that is a guaranteed check writer. 
in my world of being around for almost 30 years in the car business, that's one of the strongest things we have to offer. All right, so we're back. We've heard three steps on how we can turn this around. I agree with you. It's not easy. And one of the things that came to my mind as you were talking about these three things um, were all of the contributing factors that need to be sorted out. So I like where you're going. Hey, how's your BDC? Oh, it's good. No, 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 no. Tell me, how, how's it really going? Oh, it sucks. Uh-huh. And And then you said, okay, well, let's start there. Let's start looking at it. I think we get blinded by the quantity of tasks that we think we need to do that we forget to just say, pause, pause, hold on, deep breath. Let me take a look. Okay. Let's, let's, let's pick away at this one right now. Let's, let's clean this up. Once we've cleaned this up, let's look at the contributing factors. One of the things that came to my mind also was change is hard. Okay. We, I've talked about this on, several episodes of the show now, several guests, yourself included. What what we're really talking about here is you don't like the way things are going, then change. Right. Change is hard. People are people are more afraid to change than the thought of dying. Because when, when you die, you don't have to worry about how you feel about everyone seeing you die because you're dead. You're dead. But, you don't see anything. But, but when you change, you people are afraid of getting those comments from the people that are watching the change happen. And, and where I'm going with this specifically is ultimately this comes down to leadership. It's the leader. It's his responsibility, her responsibility to say, hey, I got to take a critical look at my business here. Right. Mm-hmm. I've got to become yep. more self-aware. Yep. They're going to get it from the employees that hate their guts right now because they've been a sucky leader. Right. Right. And I'm They're not just get- saying them. This is me pointing finger at myself. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, yeah, look, look at Mr. Uh, turning over a new leaf over here. He's blah, 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 blah. This ain't going to yeah. stick. This ain't going to stick. And we're going to be here to show him how he failed once it once he fails. I hate to say it like this, but as but being a leader, you're going to get that bullshit no matter what happens. Whether you're a success, somebody's going to say either you were fucking lucky or you were set up to be a success or you owe it owe to, owe it all to somebody else. And right. if you fail, everybody's going to sit around and they're going to say, oh, I knew that wasn't going to work or, you know, oh, that was a dumb idea from the start or, wow, we really fucked this one up. You know, the pessimist. Yeah, that that that's going to come no matter what. And that, and as a true leader, you know, that's really one of the things that defines a true leader in that is that he doesn't listen to that noise. He doesn't let that noise, um, you know, he doesn't let that noise influence his decisions. Because if you're going to walk around and you're going to make your decisions based on what everybody else is going to say about your decisions, either one or two things are going to happen. You're either never going to make a decision because you're consistently mm-hmm. going to be crippled. Or the other side of it is you're going to make a decision that is always in the your public's best interest, meaning that your best interest, because you don't want to hear anybody's shit, you know, and you're going to wind up making the wrong decision over and over and over again. There's no way to win when it comes to that. The only the only the only voice you can listen to is the one that exists right right in here. Just your gut. You really can't listen to, you know, you really can't listen to any other outside noise you know than that trust your gut 
Okay, so <clears throat> how do we find the time? You, you make the time. We make the time. We make it a priority. And this is now here's where, where we're going to kick in to both sides of the both sides of the coin here. And I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to play one side against the other because a lot of people don't know this. But not only do I do marketing and advertising and, and sales services for dealers, but I also do it for a few vendors as well. OK. And one of the things that I push to the vendor, uh, number one, I'm extremely picky about what vendors I work with. And number two, one of the things I push to the vendor, right, as much as possible is that their whole their whole thing does it should not be focused around closing a deal. It should be around creating a relationship and becoming a becoming a resource for that dealer. And mm -hmm. to do that, you need to have salespeople. You need to have salespeople, account managers, trainers, whatever it is, everybody on your team has to be focused that that is their goal. Their goal is to be of service to the person uh, to the person who's providing the pay in this case, which is the dealer. That's it. And that becomes you no, know, that becomes a big problem with what we were talking about before and how when you go to a dealer, you have to say, how's your BDC? You know, oh, my, well, my, my BDC is great. No, really, how's your BDC? Oh, my BDC is weak. OK, no, most vendors won't ask that question because they don't want to hear the weak part because they know that that's going to be the end, that that's going to be their demise. You know, so what do they do? They sign the dealer up for the six months, wait till the six months comes. And then when month six shows up and they get the phone call, they try to you know, they try to divert the phone call as much as possible. For they usually get about a week or two out of that. And then afterwards, <laughs> they cut the price. Right. They wind up, they want, well, cut the price. If you could, you know, if you were charging ten ninety nine for your widget of bullshit before, before and that, and you can suddenly cut it to five ninety nine. guess what? Dealer is, you know, Mr. Dealer is going to slice your throat even quicker because if you could have cut it to five ninety nine, why didn't you sell it to him for five ninety nine six months ago? Yeah. You know, so, so cutting the price when you get the cancellation notice is the, you know, it is always the wrong way to go. The whole idea is to not get the cancellation notice in the first place. And you don't get the cancellation notice by not by so, not signing people who shouldn't be buying your product in the first place. And that's hard to do because you've got to turn revenue away, you know, but turning revenue, turning one piece of revenue away today in exchange for another piece of revenue that will stick with you for years to come and that gets a genuine return and gets a genuine value out of your widget, product, service, advice, whatever, is worth a hundred times more than that six month person that you just signed and you say, okay, well, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll worry about this in six months when the cancellation notice comes. Yeah. You know, and, and that comes all the way down to whether you're selling snake oil or not. And like we said, also in the beginning of the show, making sure that, you know, making sure that your staff is fully educated and fully trained in the dealer's agenda and what that dealer needs to do. Really comes down to making a decision, making time, making it a priority. And, you know, really what I think we're talking about here, it, you know, I mean, it's not really the whole vendor versus dealer thing. I think that's a byproduct of the varying mindsets out there about how people are building their business. 
But like you said, if it, if, if both dealer and vendor, which by the way, dealers are vendors. So we'll just, yeah, that's all semantics. But if, if both businesses or any business does what you said, self-reflection, right? Right. Figure out where they need to improve and be honest with themselves Mm -hmm. and focus on providing sincere, genuine, authentic service. Yes. I think this eliminates a lot of the problems that we've been experiencing. The thing that we tend to forget is that majority of customers view dealers the same way dealers view vendors. And I think it comes down to what you've been talking about, which is we all suck at communicating. (laughs) Yeah. Dealers are communicating the wrong message, whether it's the way they sold, whether it's the way they advertised, whether it's the way they treated somebody, they're communicating the wrong message to the, to the customer. Same thing for vendors. And, and this is again, keeping in mind that, yeah, like you said, there are, some snake oil salespeople out there. No, no question about it. No question about it. Yeah. But aligning, you know, aligning your objectives with the objectives of a customer is where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you said, if this product or your service doesn't work for them, then don't sell it to them. That's what makes you yeah. a snake oil salesman. Exactly. You hit the, you hit the nail on the head right there. If it's not right for the dealer, just you know just don't sell it don't sell it don't take don't take the order and yeah. i know that i know there and i know there is every vendor who watched up to this point right they probably just hit they probably just hit the x out and was like oh, and they're, they're now I, there's facebook messages flying around between the colleagues saying how much you and i are idiots and yeah yeah exactly know. <laughs> you know these, these guys want us these guys want us to go broke no we don't want you to go broke we want everybody to be uh, honestly. We want everybody to prosper. We want everybody to be rich, you know. And you're not going to get rich, and you're not going to prosper by going and signing people up with for shit that they don't need. And you're not going to prosper long term by selling dealers crap that is not good for them and is not going to work for them. You're not. You're going to fail. You're going to yeah. fail, and you're going to fucking lose if it's not today then it's tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, it's going to be next week. If you do that, if you sell dealers shit that they don't need and that, and that they cannot use, you are going to fail. Well, and and you should be able to look at what's happening right now. Like I I don't think there could be any argument about this point because we're seeing how things are going. I mean, it doesn't matter who you talk to. Everybody knows that things are kind of shaky where everybody's on shaky Mm -hmm. ground. Um, So I don't, I don't know if anybody would actually argue these points, um, and especially if they're a vendor and they're watching this show and they have been watching my show, then they know that the whole mission here is to enrich and empower. And sometimes you got to hit people square between the eyes. I mean, yeah. I've written, I, everybody knows, man, I'm taking notes. I'm not writing down my next question. I'm taking notes because I believe so deeply that, and this is not a selfish thing, but it's, taking an inward look with a critical lens, taking inventory on my business and on myself and on my team so that we can provide 
a more transparent, a more ethical, a more breath of fresh air experience that aligns with what they're trying to achieve. And I mean, Uh and we're in that boat. You're right. Like sometimes it sucks when you have to turn down a deal. And it also sucks when a deal walks um, because they felt like you weren't delivering on what their expectations are. And that's where that communication piece comes in. But everybody for the better, if everyone just stops trying to sell so much and prove why theirs is the best. I mean, we see this all the time with website providers, especially. And like, I don't know if we got to like mask me out and do the Tony, the tiger, like commercial thing, you know, change my voice confessions of an X website. Not, I shouldn't say X website guy, but like confessions of a web guy. Websites are pictures and text formatted on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. That when you click here, it does this. When you click there, it goes That's to it. that. That's it. It's a tool. That's it. It's mechanical. It's a hammer. You can't suppose by having a hammer, like if I had a hammer sitting on my desk right now, I cannot expect it to hang all the pictures for me. I still have to know how to pick it up. I still need to know how to position my hand. I still know how I need to know how to level the photos on the wall so they're not all whatever. In other words, your website is a tool. The the problem is because communication is sucked so bad, this is my opinion, because communication sucks so bad, because the dealer sucks at conveying their their goals, I want more traffic leads and sales. That's exactly what right. the website vendors say because they believe those are the buzzwords. There's no, but there's not really any substance there. Mm-hmm. There is no substance there, is right. And, and when you walk, I'm going to say it like this when you walk around the floor at no. Digital Dealer, at NADA, at any of the conferences, you know, driving sales, when you walk around the floor and you look at the vendor, you look at the vendor booths and you look at the messages that they're putting out, you know, you know, double your leads or your money back. Chat you know, up. It, it's like you are, you know. But here's the thing. <laughs> Dealers walk around and you know what they say? Oh, fucking bullshit. Yeah. Now, that's what they're saying now. Now they're saying, oh, fucking bullshit. You know, and I, I and I haven't done this, but I had this idea before. Uh, we're talking about what winds up, you know, what winds up happening when you when you wind up selling shit to a dealer that they don't need. I, I would like I haven't done it, but we should do it. Go online and look at what the vendor floor plan map was for digital dealer. Uh, what number is it now? 25, I think. Right. Or 24. 23. Look at what, 23. Okay. Look at what it was for digital dealer 13. Yeah. And then look at what it was for digital dealer 19. Right. And then compare it to this one. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. and it's not because of the fact that, you know, so people got so big and they don't want to sell any more dealers. You know, it's because they ran out of dealers to sell to because they sold too many of them shit that they did not need. Right. That's that. That's the bottom line of it. Why does digital dealer need to keep a staff of four or five people to consistently sell booth space? It's not because it, it's not. Be, you know, why does NADA have a staff of 25 people, I just made that number up, but, you know, I have, sure. a, I have, a, I have a big staff of people to sell booth space, you know? Right. 
Why is it because is it because the conference is worth less or, or less popularity? Like any, let's just use NADA. Is it less popular or something now than it was years ago? Fuck no. It's because these vendors churn and burn. You know, th- th- that's the bottom line of it. They churn and burn. Do you want do you want your business to have a legacy of where you can walk around on the floor and say, "Yeah, you remember back at Digital Dealer single digit number," you know? <laughs> Right. Most of us walking around can't say that because we weren't there. <laughs> we weren't there yeah. at the time. You know, yeah. you know, that should be the legacy. That should be what that should be what vendors are going after to be able to say that they provided so much value over such a sustained period of time and that they've helped so many dealers and everything that they didn't just make money in. They didn't just make money in the first three years that they started that they started the conference circuit and everything that they you know that they made money consistently through the 13 years that they've been in the market you know or they've right. made money consistently through the 8 5 whatever number you want to make that's where the real riches are you know that's where the sustainability is it's much better to make you know it's much better to make a shorter amount of a smaller amount of money for a much longer sustained period of time than it is to make a big burst of money in the beginning and then be out and try to figure out what it is that you're going to do next because you when you started making money at that time you got yourself a bigger well, car yeah, and, a bigger I mean, we, and all that kind of we shit, see it you know? all the time we see it all the yeah. time i mean there there are companies i mean i've been in this you know serving auto dealers now since 1996 Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many companies I've seen come and go. And I also can't tell you how many people that I saw that came in and produced a that produced a product or a service. Right. During that time, I can't tell you how many I've seen come. Right. Sell that product or service off to the first highest bidder and then yeah. come back again. Right. And then come back again. And I also can't tell you how many of those people I've seen come sell off and then disappear into the night. And they didn't yeah. disappear because they got to get a big payout. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So for those of you watching or listening, listen, man. I mean, we're not trying to rip people to shreds here. This was not a rant. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't. It, the intention of this is not to rant. We are genuinely and passionately concerned for the state of the the industry today um i believe that there are so many good people in this industry mm-hmm. as i know there you are do frank ton. there are um, there are so many ethical people in this industry and there are so many people that want to create a positive change however we cannot keep skirting around the issue at hand, which is how did we get here? Right. How did, how did the water get so murky? We need to really focus back in. I want to tell you a bit of a, 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 you know, personal experience. And I've shared this with you offline a little bit, but it kind of ties into this. You know, as, as I've been building my business, it's, it's easy to have the, miscellany of things flying at you as a business owner and it happens so fast you don't even realize how off course you're actually getting from your own definition of success until one day you're sitting in church thinking you're having a heart attack 
and you got to have your wife drag you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Why is it always in church, right? Uh, I don't know. I may, maybe because may, maybe God knows I need an, an extra hand, and He's like, hey, <laughs> if this guy's gonna die anywhere, it's gonna be when he's at church. Bow, right? Um, but it's not until something happens, and it's not necessarily you thinking you're having a heart attack or stress or a panic attack or whatever. But there's ultimately you come to this like breaking point, and I think that's where this industry is at right now. Like we are walking on very thin ice. Um, those that don't stop and reflect as I've had an experience to do recently sitting in a hospital bed, you know, to say, but what is it that I am setting out to do here? What do I want to accomplish? Like we said in the beginning, OEM crap aside as a business owner, as a local business who employs 50 to 150 people in this community. What is it that I want to achieve? What is my definition of success? Don't give me this crap about you're just leveraging your, your land and your building to sell out at some point. That's at some point. What, what about today? What is it that you want to achieve? Use that as the springboard to get rid of all of the crap and the clutter. And don't accept anything into your atmosphere that doesn't align with your definition of success. Absolutely. I believe firmly that if you do that, you will achieve your definition of success at lightning speed with much more clarity and with much more fulfillment. So, Frank, man, it's been always, it always been a pleasure. Enjoy having you as a friend. Uh, enjoy all of the, uh, information you brought to us today, the power bombs and the nuggets. Haven't said that in a while. Yeah, uh, yeah that's been can, a while. How, how can we get how's in touch with you? It, you know what? It, 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 I, I said it with a little bit of extra vigor there, you know, power I, I, bombs. I, I yeah, it feels good. Feels good. We, we, we got to get back into the power bombs and the nuggets. I, maybe I got to make a nuggets t-shirt or something for the DPD. Yeah. How can we get in touch with you? I'm easy to find. Just go to, you know, the same way you can find anything else, people. Just go to Google and type in Frank J. Lopes or type in hashtag get more Frank. I will appear, you know, I will appear everywhere um, or, uh, you know, through Facebook or through Instagram or through LinkedIn. You can find my cell phone number. Anybody who needs, you know, anybody who needs help in any way. And, and this is not the this is not the end of the show close right here. You know, yeah, yeah. I am. Not, I am not here. People that follow me, uh, follow me on social or follow my brand, my personal brand. They know that my personal brand is not about monetizing. I am not looking to close you on buying my one ninety nine training video <laughs> or to come to my, you know, or to come to my, um, you know, uh, learn at the shore type of thing or any, that's, that's not my gig. That's not my gig whatsoever. I do not need to, you know, thank God in heaven. I do not need to monetize anybody who's watching this show today. You know, do I like the extra fame I get out of it? Or do I like, you know, do I like walking the floor at digital dealer and somebody says, Hey, you know, Hey, can I take a selfie with you? Yes. I like it. I love it because that person would never ask if I didn't provide them some type of value or I didn't bring something to them that was worthwhile to them. So that's really, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. If you want to find me, I'm here for you. Anything that you need, like I said, Google Frank J. Lopes, L-O-P-E-S. Put the Z in there. You're going to find somebody else completely different. <laughs> L-O-P-E-S. Love it, man. Thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure is always mine, my friend. I appreciate you so much. Mm-hmm.